amen and amen. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'd invite you to turn with me to the book of James. The book of James is where we'll make a home today. There it is. I was having trouble finding it. I knew it was in there last night. I thought, what happened? Well, we're continuing this series called Faith Forward, and while you're finding your bearings and getting to that passage, I want to ask you if you've ever seen this epic game show from the early 90s called Supermarket Sweep. Does anybody know? All right, we got a few fans, right? Like, I don't know if it was just the age I was at, like just that stage of childhood that I was obsessed with going to the store or what, but I remember loving that show. And we would watch, and if you're not familiar with it, here is the basis. Like, this is about as American consumer culture as it gets. It was a show that had, like, kind of retail pricing games throughout the midst of the show. But the grand finale, the epic conclusion of every single uh, episode of Supermarket Sweep was that the contestants would take their carts and they would run around the store and would just load up these carts with all kinds of stuff. And what they basically did at the end of the show is they scanned all the carts and whoever had gotten the most stuff in their cart, like the highest amount of money value, was the winner of that game. So it's a wild game that is just stuck in my head forever. And I have four kids. It feels like we're playing Supermarket Sweep every week when we do grocery shopping. And I got to tell you, it is not as fun when you're an adult, okay? Uh, I do not like seeing it go up. I don't get excited. I don't feel like a winner, okay? Uh, but, but I think about that show because perhaps uh, maybe if you would acknowledge this with me, it's a pretty good picture of what American culture looks like today. It just feels like all of us are running around with our carts, trying to fill them with whatever we possibly can. We all want to have a full cart. We want to get what we need. And the wild thing is, is that we live in a world that allows us to get what we need and allows us to have what we think it is that we need as the people of God. So we're just grabbing these things, trying to find them, trying to understand what they are. And we think, hey, if I get that, I'm going to be all right. If I find this and I get it in the cart, I'm going to be happy, everything's going to be good, and I'm going to be absolutely content. Yet the reality is, many of us have full carts and are loaded to the gills, and all we know is that they're heavier to push, and we find ourselves not content, not happy, and not in a good spot. Anybody else? Like, this is a picture in a very real way of the American life. So what I want us to talk about today is materialism, and we're going to see this here in the text. We touched on it last week, but I want to kind of just drill down on it a little bit today. Materialism is the belief that having money and possessions is the most important thing in life. Materialism is the idea that having money and stuff is the most important thing in our life. And I want to tell you that I think materialism might be among the biggest false religions of our modern culture. And you and I, whether you recognize it or not, have been indoctrinated more than you know by this culture. We live in a world where the ads we watch on television or the ads that we see on social media, perhaps those are even more pervasive because they are curated to see what you like and what you have looked at and what you have seen. So the more you stop and look at something, you're getting more of those in your news feed as you scroll through mindlessly. You think it's mindlessly. You may be scrolling mindlessly, but the makers of these apps have a very good purpose in mind, and it is to make you discontent with what you have. All of the things in our culture are trying to show us that the way things are now in your life, you know, last year's phone, 
last year's clothes, last year's car, your, your current vehicles, the house you own, all of those are absolute garbage. That's what the world's teaching us. And if, but the good news is, even though you are in a garbage situation right now, these ads promise hope because we have new cars. We have new houses. We have new stuff. You can put some more stuff in your cart today. In fact, we are so consumed with stuff that in America in the last few decades, we have developed an entire cottage industry called self-storage. It is unbelievable, guys. Like, really, it's, it's unbelievable. We have so much stuff that we have to pay another person off-site to hold our stuff. I read an article this week that said at the current rate of the growth of the self-storage industry, this industry will be worth over $64 billion by 2026. That was billion with a B. That's a lot of storage units, isn't it? We have an entire industry based upon you getting more and more stuff. So the reality is, whether you know it or not, you're touched by this issue today. And what you need to understand is that materialism is toxic to the soul. It's everywhere around you, and it's dangerous. Do you remember how you acted during the pandemic? Some of you differently than others. Like, it's, it's, well, let's talk about unity. This is a great thing to bring up. I mean, we, we took precautions, right? Like, wisely, you know, it's like certain things. Like, but, but can I tell you, there is something far more toxic than the pandemic that happened a few years ago, and it's materialism. And we have just embraced it. It's all around us, and we have done nothing to protect ourselves. We don't even really seem to care. But friends, it's, it's killing us. It's killing us. Our pursuit of money and stuff is not healthy. And, and the weird thing is, is we all kind of know it. Yet even though we know it, we never really talk about it. Stress and anxiety are, are at an all-time high in our culture. All the statistics bear that out. And in fact, many of the, the top health issues in our world today stem from stress and anxiety that I would argue go back to finances and stuff. Marriages are falling apart at record rates. And the most often quoted reason for marital strife, financial strain. So today as we dive back into a passage we studied last week in James chapter 1, we're going to see the Lord inviting us very clearly to a better way. To take a breath and say there is a better way than what the culture has sought to teach us. There's a better way than what the world has said we need. And friends, it's the way of Jesus. We're going to see a clear call today to stop pursuing possessions and start pursuing Jesus. So let's get to the text and see how the Lord calls us to this. James chapter 1, we'll start in verse 9. The Word of God says this, Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation, because he will pass away like a flower of the field. For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass. Its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. Let's pray and ask for the Lord's help as we study his word. Lord, we just come to you today recognizing that we need your help. God, as we approach this passage, we ask that you would teach us in a real way that helps us 
Lord, that we would see your truth and understand your truth and know, God, that it's you who we need, not the things of this world, not the things around us, not what the world is telling us to pursue and to seek. But God, I pray that we would all walk out of here with one heart and one mind, and that's a heart and mind that wants to seek you and nothing else. So Lord, teach us, lead us, direct us by your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, what we find here in these two verses is really one command to two different groups of people, and it fleshes itself out this way. The, the first section there says that humble circumstances, people of humble circumstances, which is really a nice way of saying poor people, so congratulations, those of you of humble circumstances, says that the poor are to boast in their exaltation. Now, I'll tell you, we like that section of Scripture, don't we? Like, this is the narrative of every generation, even though this song is not that old. We all like to declare that we started at the bottom, now we here. And that is what your grandparents said, and their grandparents said, and their grandparents said, is, man, we had to make ourselves come from nothing to get to where we are today. And I'll be honest, even if you don't have that story, you can make it sound like you have that story pretty easily, right? Our culture has taught us this narrative well. We're all self-made people. I mean, not like the Lord helped you out or anything, but that's another sermon for another time. You just keep doing you, buddy. You're doing great, right? But this idea that we were underdogs and somehow, though we were of humble circumstances, we have risen to the occasion and we boast in the fact that we have been exalted. We like that one. It's the theme of a lot of generations. But this second one bothers us, doesn't it? Especially when what we discovered last week as we looked at this passage is that comparatively to the rest of the world and comparatively to the people that James was writing to, bad news, guys, you're the rich. You're the rich. Like the poorest person in Sedgwick County today is rich compared to the majority of the world today, let alone the people of the time in which James is writing this letter. We have resources beyond anything that we, these people could even think or imagine today. We indeed are a blessed people. So if you feel like you are a person of humble circumstances, I want to just tell you, rejoice that God has put you in a place where even in the midst of your what feels like and may even be poverty by today's standards, you are blessed compared to the majority of the world today. I want to encourage you to take heart. But what this text says is that those who are rich need to boast in their humiliation. Doesn't that word just hurt a little bit to hear it? Humiliation. This is what we spend our lives trying to avoid at all costs. If there is anything I want to avoid in my life, it's being humiliated. I mean, that's the things I talked to my therapist about or the things that humiliated me when I was a kid. And last week as a pastor. Like these are the things that scare us and keep us up at night and bother us and even in some weird ways mold and shape us. But what the text says is that you ought to boast in your humiliation. So what do we make of this command? And you say, well, that sounds like two commands, Rusty. Well, ultimately, what I want you to see is that James isn't inviting us to boast in our poverty or to boast in our riches or even in the changing of those circumstances. I love what the ESV study Bible says here about verse 9. Here's what it says. Both poverty and riches bring enormous pressure on a person to focus on the world rather than on Christ. Isn't that true? In this section on trials, James wants us to understand that often one of the greatest trials we face 
is money and or the management of that money and our stuff. And can I tell you, if this was a problem in the midst of a poor culture for a group of people who had to probably leave many of their possessions and start a new life somewhere else, broker than broke, what do you think this struggle looks like for a bunch of us here in the Western world today in 2023? Well, certainly this is a challenge for us. And it's a real trial that I think will even turn into a temptation for many of us. The rest of the Bible echoes this thought. I think of Proverbs 30, verses 8 and 9. Have you heard this verse before? It says, Give me neither poverty nor riches. If I'm rich, I may forget God and act like I did this. This is the rusty paraphrase version, by the way. I may forget the Lord and think it was me who did this. And if I'm poor, I might steal and profane the name of my Lord. So the prayer is, Lord, give me enough. Our discipleship groups this week talked about the Lord's Prayer. And the, the verse in there where Jesus says, give us this day our daily bread. Y'all, I don't know about you, but I want bread for the freezer. I want us to, you know, like put some preservatives in there so it lasts a while. Like, I don't like the idea of manna that's there today and spoiled tomorrow. I, I want to have enough so that I can sleep good tonight being dependent on my ability to keep up with the bread God's given me. Oh, but Jesus said, Lord, give me what we need for today. There's a dependence on God here that's, that's challenging for us. And I think there's a real temptation to depend on the things of this world. And like we said last week, to find our security in things and stuff instead of Christ. Friends, that is materialism. What James is getting at here is this one command. And the command is not to boast in your possessions, but here's the command. Boast in Christ. Boast in Christ. Like, boast in Him. This word boast means, again, that's almost a negative word. You're like, wait a second, Jesus is telling us to boast? Boasting's a bad thing. Well, this word boast simply means to take pride in, or in the New American Standard, a very literal translation is to glory in, to find your glory, to find your hope, your joy, your happiness in Christ. Listen, we don't find our glory in our financial status or lack thereof. We boast in the reality that the poor are exalted in Christ and the rich are humiliated in Christ. And in both of these situations, the lesson is to depend not on stuff and money, but rather to cling to Jesus. And in those situations, when you are of humble circumstance and the Lord provides, you know what that teaches you to do? Depend on Jesus. And if you have much and you are humiliated and lose that, you know what it teaches you to do? To depend on Jesus. So James is saying, wherever you are, whatever's happening in your life, boast in the reality that you have Christ and he is more than enough. That's what it means to boast in Christ. We're commanded to do this. This isn't a suggestion. It's like, hey, you know, think about this no he commands us boast in christ not material things why is that well verse 11 makes it abundantly clear possessions will pass away possessions will pass away look at verse 11 with me again for the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass its flower falls off and its beautiful appearance perishes in the same way, the rich person will wither away while pursuing his activities. This is wild, isn't it? 
Now, just so you know, in, in the Middle East, there are these flowers just like here that, that will come up in spring, and they're beautiful, but you've got to remember, that's a desert there. And as it gets hotter and warmer, and then the warm desert wind starts to blow, uh, you feel that here in about July, right, on a windy day. It's probably similar, all right? Uh, it knocks down the flowers, it destroys them, and they die. They pass away. But I want to remind you that James is not really saying here in this text that possessions are the problem. Remember we said that last week. God is not anti-rich. This isn't the problem. There's nothing wrong with flowers. Though I just got to tell you, I think we're going to need an extra marriage night for my home, okay? Mallory and I went a week or two ago to purchase some flowers to improve the landscaping. You know, got to get that curb appeal up uh, over there on Rita Court. So we go and, you know, pick out a few flowers, and I think, wow, what a fun, beautiful day. This is a great day. And until we go to the checkout area, and they scan these stinking things, and it was like supermarket sweep flower edition. <laughs> but you know what? I, I took heart, even though it was so expensive, I took heart in, in the fact that when I looked at the receipt, I discovered that these were annuals, which must mean that they come back annually. The fact that you're laughing tells me that you're ahead of me. <laughs> so if you'd like to see our beautiful flower bed, come by today. Because <laughs> those bad boys are here today and gone tomorrow, just like the money I spent on them. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day, Mallory. <laughs> but here's the truth, guys. Whether they're annual or perennial, the, the truth is eventually all flowers die. And James is inviting us to, to stop boasting in what's temporary. Stop living for things that are just going to pass away. And again, I want to note that James doesn't call out the stuff and the money. Like, yes, he says that flowers are going to pass away, but he was like, oh, the foolish, terrible flower. No, in fact, the Bible's going to often use the flower as a sign of God's blessing, right? that man if god takes care of the flowers how much more will he take care of you we're going to read that here in a few minutes there's nothing wrong with the flowers but you see that it's the danger of pursuing these things did you see that at the end of verse 11 he didn't say at the end of verse 11 the rich person will wither away because he has a lot of stuff or the rich person will wither away because he's got a, a, a high bank account no it doesn't say that will pass away pursuing his activities it's the pursuit of these things. It's not the possessions that are killing us, friends. It's the pursuit of possessions. When your life becomes about accumulation, we've got a problem. So how are we to deal with this? I think if we're honest, every single one of you in here, you may be like, well, I'm glad he's preaching on this. Since I discovered the principles of minimalism, my life has been far better. I've only had to buy 17 books about minimalism and three online courses to help me arrive at this place. I want to tell you, whoever you are and wherever you're at, I think this touches you, doesn't it? Now, I, I know what happens, guys, and then I use this voice, and I've called some of you out. So some of you right now, the inner lawyer has gone to work, and I'm telling you, he's good. Pay that dude more for retainer because you can convince yourself very quickly that this isn't about you. Oh, but that we will be sensitive enough to the Holy Spirit to see the areas where this is real in our lives. Because 
he offers a better way friends i want you to turn back with me to matthew chapter 6 if you would matthew chapter 6 and while you're turning there let me some of you are like he's going to preach a whole other sermon we're okay guys your mother's day lunch is going to be okay particularly if it's in a crock pot if not you've learned your lesson next year (laughs) figure it out But while you're turning there, I want to just let you in on some behind-the-scenes stuff happening here. Uh, Many Bible scholars will point to, and and astute students of the Bible, as you read James, you will see a ton of very familiar themes. And you'll say, where have I heard that before? I want to tell you where you've heard much of that for is the teaching of the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is a passage where many, many of the principles that Jesus teaches here in his sermon are, are repeated in the book of James. And you may want to do that this week. Read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, and then read the book of James, and you'll see tons of these themes echoed and, and continually shown to us. And it's a beautiful thing to see in the text. And this is one of those sections that we're going to read today that I think James borrowed from these principles to write the passage that we just studied today. So let's read the words of Jesus starting here in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. And I want to invite you to keep your Bibles open. We're going to read a few verses, talk a minute, and then read a few more. So verse 19 says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Look at verse 24 as well. No one can serve two masters, since he will either hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Y'all, Jesus says this about as plainly as it can be said. If you are living for money and possessions... If you are using your life to stack things up, you need to know and understand today that you are not serving God. You can't live for the things of this world and also live for Jesus. You can't. You can't do both. And I think there are many American Christians today who have been taught that that's part of it. The American dream is this thing, yet we also have a little Jesus involved with it. Jesus does not make room for that provision here in this text, does he? You cannot serve God and money. So clear. But I also want you to notice how Jesus in this text is affirming what James has already said, or really what we know is that James is bringing back what Jesus said. Look at what he said. Store up treasures in heaven instead of treasures on this earth. And it's the same logic in James and here in the Sermon on the Mount. Your stuff is going to waste away. And if it doesn't waste away, it's going to be stolen. Can I tell y'all what I've told you before? And we never like to face this reality, but sometimes it's good for us to hear it. Your most prized possession, the things that you love the most in this world, your kids and your grandchildren are going to say, what do we do with all this junk? It's true. This generation's most prized and valuable possessions are the next generation's garage sale finds. It's just the reality. The old saying is the old saying because it's absolutely true, friends. You cannot take it with you. 
So the invitation of Scripture is to stop pursuing possessions. Stop pursuing possessions. Don't waste your life chasing after the things that have an expiration date, things that will not last. Instead, Jesus invites us to put up treasures in heaven by living for eternity, living for what matters. You say, well, what does that look like, Pastor? Well, Jesus tells us, pick up with me at verse 25 in Matthew 6. Jesus says, therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe the wild flowers of the field. Here we go. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? Listen to this. For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. <sighs> Isn't that a passage that makes you want to take a deep breath and say, thank you, Jesus? I mean, these are the base things in lives that we tend to stress about, isn't it? Where are we going to live? What am I going to wear? What are we going to feed the kids today? It's Mother's Day. If we try to go to a restaurant, it's going to be a disaster. But we didn't grocery shop. What are we going to do? You know, These are the base things that we tend to spend our lives being consumed with. And I love that Jesus affirms what we said earlier. This struggle for money and stuff is a never-ending battle that actually is not life-giving. The promise of the world is that if you get more stuff, then you're going to have more life and happiness and joy. But the, the reality is that in this pursuit, it's actually killing us. Worry, stress, and anxiety are, are the markers of a life that is all about pursuing possessions and stuff and money. But the invitation is to stop pursuing possessions and friends. Oh, it's a sweet invitation. Start pursuing Jesus. Start pursuing Jesus. This language I've been using today is very intentional because it's biblical. I've used this word pursue, yet Jesus uses the synonym seek. Seek. Look at verse 32 again. It says, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, but your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Gentile here is not about ethnicity. It's really about faith. What Jesus is saying is that hey, non-believers spend their lives consumed with these things, but you have God. And God knows what you need better than you know what you need. So why are you living your life like those who don't know God? Don't chase the things of the world. He knows what you need better than anyone. So instead of seeking money and stuff and provision for yourself, verse 33 says, Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And all these things he said, will be added to you, provided for you. Do you catch that promise? Isn't that wild? 
reminded of Genesis chapter 22. Perhaps one of the most shocking stories in all the Bible. Abraham, the great patriarch of the people of God, has been promised a son for years and years and years and years, and then the Lord finally gives them a son in their old age. The son of the promise. And as he's growing up, the Lord calls him to take his son, this long-awaited promise that God had given him, and take him up the mountain and sacrifice his son. It's really a horrifying thing as you're reading it. I know we have like sanitized Christianese glasses that say, oh, what a neat story. No, that actually happened. Can you imagine? So, so they, they go up the mountain and scholars think probably that at some point when uh, Abraham lets Isaac in on what's happening because Isaac kept saying hey what are we going to sacrifice got all this wood got all this stuff what are we going to sacrifice and Abraham continued to say the Lord will provide the Lord will provide scholars think that Isaac once was let in on what God had told Mo, uh, Abraham must have cooperated because at this point Abraham's an old man and Isaac's probably a strapping dude so Isaac gets on the altar and at the very moment when Abraham is about to take his life the Lord says stop stop the Lord directs their attention over to the side where there is a ram who's caught up in the brush and they sacrifice that ram to the Lord and the Lord called himself in that passage Jehovah Jireh the Lord will provide Abraham was willing to let go of his most prized possession, his very son. And the Lord in his love, mercy, and grace provided what he needed. He was able to sacrifice and he still got his son. Now here's what I know, friends. For some of you, this is hard. Some of you lost your son or you lost your daughter and you say, and I don't know what I think about that passage. Some of you feel like you've lost your livelihood and everything you have. Some of you are just lost in a general sense today, and you're wondering what in the world it is that God is doing in your life. But, but here's what I know, friends. I don't know the answer to your specific situation and what you may be walking through this day, but here's what I do know. I know that Abraham's God took his son up the mountain to the hill called Golgotha and he did not spare his own son but Jesus Christ died on the cross to be the sacrifice for all humanity's sin past, present, and future and through that sacrifice Jehovah Jireh has provided everything that you and I need it's not the Lord will provide the Lord has provided through what he did through Jesus Christ on the cross we have all we need in Jesus today. And right here, Jesus himself, the ultimate sacrifice, the child of the promise, the, the real child of the promise, who gave his life for us, tells us that if we are willing to go up the mountain and give him whatever he is, it is that he asks of us and say, Lord, we want to surrender. In fact, I'm going to get up on the altar myself. Romans 12 says that we are to be a living sacrifice. Lord, I'm going to lay my life down on the altar and I'm going to say, whatever it is you want from me, Lord, blank check, 
all in, I surrender everything to you. That if we do that, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Walk with Jesus in such a way that his righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, is born in us. That all these things of the world that we tend to worry about, God will give us what we need. And who knows better what you need than God? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, the Lord has provided. And I love what we see in the scripture. Note that these are not little things. So it's like, you know, some of you are like, well, when we talk about materialism, we're talking about, you know, I don't drive a fancy car, I don't live in a fancy house and all that. That's not what it's talking about. It's talking about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to live. These are basic necessities in our lives that tend to run the way we live and the way we think. And Jesus invites us to a radical way of living that says, I'm going to pursue Jesus and trust him to supply what I need. Are you living that way today? Or are you pursuing the things of the world and asking Jesus to bless your pursuit? I think that's what most of us do. Lord, bless me as I do what I think is best. And I'm going to try to manipulate you, Lord, by doing all the right things and trying to be righteous on my own so that you'll bless me because I think that's how that works. Like it's a, a work system, right? It's not going to work, friends. For multiple reasons, but number one is you're not a good person. Sorry to break that to you. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. You are a sinner who is in desperate need of a Savior, but can I tell you something? Jesus went up the mountain so that you and I can go up the mountain and put our lives on the altar because what he provided for us on the cross, we have what it takes to surrender our lives and boldly trust him with a faith that this world has not seen before, yet desperately needs. Do you believe this today? If so, the call of the Bible is clear. Stop pursuing possessions and start pursuing Jesus. Can we go back to the supermarket real quick? What, what is it that you're filling up your cart with today? Y'all, life isn't a game show, but the reality is that the clock is ticking. And so many of us are running around trying to fill our lives with the things that we think we need, and we're just stacking things on top of things, thinking it's going to be enough. But what I know is that when we stand before the Lord in glory, when we are at the gates of heaven, can I tell you, on that day, we're not going to be finding anything useful in that cart in fact i think if you're going to look over to the side you're just going to see a ton of abandoned carts it's going to look like the walmart parking lot <laughs> shout out to dan walmart dan's in the house just so y'all know i'm just messing up some of these kids theologically there's not going to be a bunch of grocery carts at the side when you get to heaven <laughs> If you get there and there's a bunch of carts everywhere, I don't, I don't know if you got to the right place. Uh, so, uh, <laughs> all right, let's get back to what I was trying. This was such a good conclusion, and then I got side-reeled, sorry. Here's what I want to tell you. When you stand before the Lord, we're going to want to present our spiritual resume. We're, we're going to want to present our accomplishments and say, Lord, look at what I've done. But can I tell you, when you stand before the Lord, here's all that you're going to be able to say. Jehovah Jireh the Lord will provide and what he has provided in Christ and his work on the cross for me 
has made it where I can stand perfect and holy before Almighty God today. Friends, if you have that right now on this side of eternity, can I tell you, you ought to live a radically different life. If you really know that Jesus and he has really saved your life and given you eternity with him, you ought to live with faith and with boldness today, regardless of what the circumstances around you look like. If you're of humble circumstances, boast in Christ. If you are rich and being humiliated, boast in Christ because you have the one thing that cannot be taken away from you. And it's Christ. Stop pursuing possessions. Start pursuing Christ. Lord, we thank you for your word today. I thank you for clarity. I thank you for the simplicity of this message. Yet, Lord, I I know that we need your Holy Spirit's help in this process. Otherwise, we are quick to assign these truths to our neighbors and our friends and other people. But, Lord, you want to do a work in our lives and in our hearts today. So, God, I pray that by your Spirit, you would do this work and help us become the people you want us to be. Lord, as we respond to this message, give us whatever we need to respond in a way that will honor and glorify you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand in an attitude of prayer and worship as we respond to the Word of God.